Hey, thanks for listening to Everyday Greatness. It's a nice little show brought to you by our major sponsor, ARA Group, an employee-owned company that provides essential services for your facility and infrastructure and is one of Australia's biggest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness isn't rocket science. We're just trying to make you feel proud again of simply being a good, solid human being by speaking to some real people who found that the strength they needed to deal with any challenge in their life had been inside them the whole time. The ARA Group is proud to stand alongside Everyday Greatness, and we all hope that you enjoy the show. Just calling yourself a good man, living a solid life, wouldn't be that big a deal for most people today. But my guest on Everyday Greatness today, Daniel Kolarik, for him it's one of the biggest things, one of the greatest things you could say about him. Daniel was on a downhill, downward spiral, with an addiction to drugs and alcohol. He spent a week without sleeping, jumping from drug den to drug den to get his next score. And at the end of that week, Daniel rang his mum and told her he couldn't do it anymore. In the most vulnerable position in his life, Daniel's mum gave him exactly what he needed. She told him she was there for him, but told him that he had to take it seriously. Like all good little boys should, Daniel listened to his mother. He went to rehab where he was broken down and rebuilt. He kicked his habit and he's now living an everyday life. Daniel is now proud to tell his story of overcoming overcoming addiction in the hopes that he can help other people in the same boat as he was. I'm proud to say that Daniel Kolarik has has agreed to join us on Everyday Greatness Daniel, welcome and thank you. Barnaby, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Now, I need to start off in the interest of journalistic transparency. You and I do know each other from a a previous life. Tell us about our relationship and how we know each other. Yes, we do, mate. I think we first came across each other back in, I believe it was the year 2006. Um, I think I was still at high school my last year of high school and sign up to the mighty pennant hills demons and uh to give them a go and mate you were and still are somewhat of a cult hero around there and i must admit that you were one of the even though you were club captain at the time uh you actually uh made me feel very welcome so that's where we first came across each other and uh, a couple of great left footers out on the footy field, I might add. Very true. Thank you for those words. Now, tell us your story of your drug addiction in your own words. How did it start? What were you addicted to? And when did the wheels completely fall off? Mate, it is a long story, but uh, in essence, it's sort of, I mean, a lot of what I know now is a lot of stuff I didn't know when I was in active using, but looking back at things, I mean, I, again, I sort of learned when I went to rehab that, um, my addiction started, they say there's a saying that every addict has trauma, but not everyone who has trauma will be an addict. So I sort of was put on medication at a young age, which I learned was a big catalyst for the addiction in my adult years. But, the sort of, I mean, I started taking party drugs at about the age of 19 and I found back then that, I mean, I, I pretty much just fell in love with them um, because 
a lot of the drugs I was taking when I was partying had a very similar makeup to the medication I was taking as a child. So there was only sort of specific drugs that I would really was really attracted to. Um, yeah. Sort of you can put it. But so the addiction sort of started. I mean, I look back and it probably at the age of, you know, you say the wheels start to fall off. I think they sort of really. It, the drugs really took a hold of me. It, if I'm being real, probably in my mid twenties, that's when I sort of um, really started taking a lot most weekends. Um, but again, the wheels hadn't started to fall off yet. That's just when I started to, the, the amounts I was taking um, became quite high. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, with addiction, you don't, well, I know I didn't put my hand up until, um, the first step of the the twelve step recovery that I'm in now is admitting that you're powerless over your addiction and that your life has become unmanageable. Yep. My life hadn't become unmanageable until probably the last few years, um, and by that I mean I still, although I was sort of out of control, I wasn't like I still had a job, I still had friends, um, I was a very bad liar and quite manipulative as well to get what I wanted. I will say that now when it came to drugs, because that was the power of the addiction. Um, but once I started to, you know, I lost a job, relationships started to fall apart, family started to fall off. That's when sort of life became unmanageable. Yeah. So I would probably, I mean, I'm 33, nearly 34. And I'll probably say it wasn't until I was about 30, 31, that the wheels really started to fall off. And, um, my life started to spiral pretty bad. So, yeah. That's a long build-up to wheels falling off. So you said you were about 19 when you started party drugs. Who were you before your addiction journey started? Oh, mate, that's a good question. I And I talked to my mum about this. We've spoken a lot about um, because a lot of part of – well, a big part of the, the journey in the rehab was to try to find uh, the inner child and to find who I was as a child and yeah. things like that. And um, – and you know, I, I, as a baby, I've been told, and I do quite, I do have flashbacks of this when I was a toddler that I was quite, um, I was very much in my own head, <laughs> you know. I, yeah, I was quite outlandish, you know. I used to chuck terrible, terrible tantrums <laughs> as a child, yeah, um, almost to the point where, again, my beautiful mother tells me that it was very hard to take <laughs> me even to the to the to the shopping centre uh, because I would create quite a racket and a quite. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, and I suppose that's, those things compounded into why sort of I was diagnosed with ADHD and then put on medication. Um, and then the medication um, definitely cancelled all that out, but they probably took it to the extreme where I was, um, yeah, quite, quite a, probably a confused child, I'll, I'll quite say, looking <laughs> back on it now. Um, a lot of things going into my head, and I found it very hard to put those into words. Um, but I mean, I, I, I mean, still to this day, I think, and even as, a, even as a child, I have, have a big heart and had a big heart back then. And, um, yeah, I, I was a loving person. Um, but I, I had a lot of problems, you know, I did have a lot of problems and eventually they, they all came out. But again, at the time, um, I didn't know what I know now. Yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. That's exactly it, mate. Yeah. Well said. So tell me, what's, how would you sum up the man you are today? Oh, mate, that's interesting. It's, it's, it's always hard to well, – I find it hard to talk about myself. But, um, mate, again, still what I said before, I'm a 
I'm a very caring person, a very understanding, um, you know, particularly what I've been through. I'm very open-minded. Um, there's obviously still a lot of things to work on, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong journey, this, this whole life thing. But, um, mate, I just, I'm a man of the simple things as well, you know, um, you know, we did it very tough when we were young as well. So I've got a lot of appreciation for the beautiful things I have in my life now, uh, particularly because they were taken, nearly taken away from me completely, you know, last year. Yep. And, um, mate, yeah, just, just a happy outgoing person, you know, I don't get angry a lot. Um, well, well, people at work might, might say, uh, <laughs> differently. <laughs> you can ask them. Um, but yeah, mate, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a happy, just a happy outgoing, loving person. Um, but I do keep a quiet life these days. You know, I like to stay in my own lane and just work and train and see the people that matter to me in my life. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it sort of does to me a bit. <laughs> makes perfect sense. And I'm sure a lot of people are jealous. Yeah, so yeah. how bad did things get for you when you were using and the wheels were falling off with your drug addictions? Well, mate, look, the towards the end, they got really, really bad. Probably the last, you know, I lost my job in 2019, sorry, 2019, 2020, and I'd had that for eight years. Right. And I thought I was going to be at that job forever. And, um, Coincidentally enough, I lost it as a result of a positive drug test at work. Um, so that's when, and that sort of crushed me. I ended up in a in a psych ward after that um, because, um, and also I was using quite heavily. So losing a job of eight years, using heavily, um, let's just say there's not a lot of happy thoughts that go through your mind when you mix those two things up. So that's when the wheels started to fall off, but then life back found bounced back pretty quickly. And, and again, the, the drugs I was using at the time, they're all sort of the amphetamine based as well. Um, and I know at the start of 2021, I was, um, I'd, I'd had another job that I'd picked up after I'd, I'd left my previous company, yeah. which was a great job. But lo and behold, I blew that as well as a result of using, you know, I, I went to work on a Monday after a big weekend and, um, you know, they'd, um, it's almost looking back at it now. I think they could tell when I walked in that I had a big weekend and then mm. an hour later drug tests were put in front of us and mate, I just got in the car and, and bolted. Um, I didn't need to, to put that swab in my mouth. I knew it was going to come back. I got a phone call later that week saying you're fired yeah. pretty much. And then at, the sort of stars aligned in a weird way. I was introduced to ice right? and which I never, ever thought it always scared me. I uh, never thought I'd put it in me, but I was so, so happy to put it in me, in my body because at that point in time I was in so much pain. I just wanted something to So my using before, probably before that had been, you know, partying and, you know, just to, you know, I was in a good mood, so I wanted to celebrate, but then it became about numbing the pain and getting out of my own head. Mm. So I went from, one thing to another. I was using only to escape the reality of my life, which was um, pretty bad at that stage. So I was introduced to ice, and then, if, as you can imagine, things start to go down quite badly at that stage. Yeah. And then, you know, I, you know, and then I took it even further. You know, then I was using, and the people around me at that time, the people, a lot of people left around me from the previous years, and the people around me when I was using ice were just whole different level um not very nice people at all 
uh, yeah, scumbags for a better word. But I didn't really care because they had the drugs and I just wanted to use them. Um, and then, you know, and then they, not long after I started on the ice, um, you know, I was watching people around me sort of injected in themselves and needles were always something that I was, you know, scared shitless of. I never wanted to. But again, I was in that much pain. I wanted to do anything to get out of my own head. So, um, you know, someone gave me my first injection of, of, of crystal meth Yep. And they call it the point of no return, and mate, that's pretty much what happened. I, my life just went on a, a straight descent, um, and over the next few months, it, it was just, it was just, I just self imploded. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So during those next few months where you were self imploding and you could feel it, how did you think you were going to pull yourself out of this really dangerously bad situation? Mate, honestly, and this might sound a bit confronting, the only thing that gave me peace was knowing that I was going to end my life soon. Right. The only thing I used to put my head on the pillow after a big week, few days on it, and I used to tell myself it'll all be over soon. Right. You know, you'll end it soon. I was trying to come up with a – there was a, a suicide attempt in there, yeah. um, which um, thankfully I can say now didn't work. <laughs> uh, but at the time I was quite – angry at myself because I didn't really, um, you know, have the guts to go through it. And I know that's might sound weird, but you know, I'm thank God I didn't, didn't go through with it. But the, yep. that's what gave me, I, I knew that my life was that bad and I knew I didn't have the ability to get out of it. And I just, I found peace knowing that I'll end it soon. I'll get out of this soon. Um, and yeah, so that's, um, there was no, I knew deep down that I couldn't get out of it. I'd been doing this for too long. The drugs had a hold of me. There was no way out. The only way out was to to, to, to take matters into my own hands. Um, Before I go on, mate, I just want to say thank you for sharing everything so honestly and it's probably fairly confronting for you, so thank you for sharing it with everybody. It's a pleasure, mate. So what prompted you when you were in such a struggle city world, what prompted you to pick up the phone and ring your mum? Mate, I, and I talk about this moment quite a lot in the in the meetings that I go to. Um, it was a spiritual moment because I had no um, desire to tell people how bad I was. A lot of people around me knew that I was bad and I'd taken quite a bad turn. Yeah. But I try to keep the cards close to my chest um, just because I didn't want the confrontation. I didn't want the fuss. And to be honest, I didn't really care. I just wanted out. I didn't really want to live anymore. Yeah. So I had, I had no desire to... Um, talk about what was happening and then i think yes i i've been awake for nearly eight days um i'd just been jumping from a drug den to another drug den just just injecting crystal meth and when there was a moment when i knew and when you're in the grips of that addiction you'll get anything you'll do anything to get on and get that next hit you know i was in the mindset all i wanted all I need, my main only focus at that time was to keep on going because I didn't want to come down. I didn't want the drugs to wear off because my, my life sober was so painful and my life using, you know, wasn't joyful, but at least it got me out of the pain, if that makes sense. So I, and when after the eight days that the, I knew the drugs had run out, everything like that, I fell into a, um, I only, I've never cried worse in my life. It all just hit me that I'm in a lot of trouble here. I'm in a real, real spot of bother. And 
and again, I'll repeat this. I had no desire to tell mum, to tell my father, to tell anyone about yep. what I was doing, but an energy, a spiritual, like an energy just came over me. Um, and my hand, my arm just pulled my phone out of my pocket. I called my mum and um, I just said, mum, I need help. And that is quite, it's, that's why I'm quite spiritual today because I truly believe that was a, you know, a high power, a moment, you know, someone up above, you know, put that energy in me to pull out my phone and call my mum. And that's what I did. And, and it's the call that, uh, mate, it, it, it saved my life. If I hadn't have made that call, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And what did your mum say? She said it was the call she'd been waiting for for years. And I suppose the hesitation also to call her was the judgment. There was no judgment from her. She, yeah. she had been waiting for this call. And she said one thing to me. She said, if you want the help, if you really, really want to get the help, we will get you the help. Do you want the help? And I said, I can't do this anymore. What can we do? And that's what kick-started things. What a woman. I, I've always had a high regard for mothers in general, but your mother in particular. That's an incredible story, mate. So, she is, mate. She's, yeah. Sorry, you are going to give her a rap. Go for it. No, she is, mate. She would, and, you know, um, you know it's, it, we had a, a funny relationship growing up. Um, she'll admit that as well, but I mean, you know, I tell her this, you know, often as well, but she's along with the rest of my family, but if she wasn't the mother she is and the person she is, you know, she saved my life and, and I owe it my life. And, um, the only thing I can do moving forward is just to, to, to be a good boy essentially. <laughs> so, which I try to do every day. <laughs> well, you're a lucky man and your mother's a lucky woman for having you, mate. Uh, what, so that phone call that started your rehab journey. How hard was that, and what what would it, what did it look like that rehab phase for you, mate? If I'm honest, it was excitement because I was so desperate to live, to get, to stop the life, to 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 have a flicker of hope yep. that I might there may be a chance that I can not use drugs again. That that's the that excited the hell out of me. So I was so desperate because I looked around me and I had nothing left. You know, I was pretty much nearly out on the street. I had no job, no money, yeah. um, relationships had left me. There was not much left at all. Um, and I was like, it was painful. It was painful life to live. The using was painful. So to be able to potentially go into a, a rehab where I'm essentially locked in a bubble for a period of time and can just focus on my addiction. Mate, I was, I was excited. I really, really wanted to. Yeah, I was pumped. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, I mean, some people go in there against their own will. Some people go in there because their partner has threatened to leave them. Mate, I put my hand up and I said, I want to do this. Yeah. I want to do I've been doing this for too long. And, you know, if, I, if I'm not going to kill myself, I can't. If I'm going to stay on this earth, I need another way of living. Yeah, sounds good. Um, and it obviously worked, your rehab. How long have you been clean for as of today? They've been clean for one year, one month, and three weeks on the dot. Is it like a movie? Do you chalk up the days as they go past, like people doing prisons in the movies? <laughs> we do. I'm in recovery, mate, and uh, every day is a blessing, but we do celebrate milestones. Um, you know, one day at a time, the next milestone is, will be 18 months. But, um, mate, every day is a blessing because from when I started taking party drugs to the time I um, – you know, I had my last, her last shot of crystal meth. Yep. I'd gone 
no longer than three weeks clean in a, you know, 12, 12, 13 year um, space. So to be long this to be clean this long in comparison to that is um it's a miracle it really really is so yeah outstanding oh mate I'm getting goosebumps hearing this story this is incredible um so you talked earlier about a lot of things you lost relationships family jobs what are you most grateful for today now that you've been clean for over a year that you might thought you might never get back. Mate, the, 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 my family, top of the list. You know, I, you know, I have my older brother. I have three beautiful nephews, and you know, even the eldest nephew who I held when he was a baby, he's, you know, I'm picking him up tomorrow, and we're, we're going. You know, he's, he's got his L's, so we're going to do some <laughs> get his L's up with his driving. But mate, to give you a, a rundown, like a couple of years ago, I left him stranded at the front of my brother's place because I'd agreed to take him to a football match, and I decided to try and have a couple the night before and I ended up going on a three day bender because I couldn't stop and he didn't make his footy match. He was stranded at the front. So to be given the trust and another opportunity to be able to, you know, pick him up, sit in the car with him, drive up to drive up the coast. Like in the, when I was using, no one would have trusted me to, to do that. So for my family to, um, let's say welcome me back in because they never kicked me out, but for them to be accepting and yeah. loving, uh, it's special, mate. It really is. And to have the friends, you know, uh, you know, obviously when I stopped using drugs, a lot of the people in my life went out, which are the the, the people that I don't want around. Yeah. But the friends that were that I did wrong by, and you know, I was untrustworthy towards, they're still around, mate. They've still got my back, and um, and to be able to do the line of work that I'm still doing because after that last incident with um. <laughs> when I ran away from the drug test, I didn't think I'd be able to do my line of work again and I'm still doing it to this day. So, um, and my, and, and my health, I mean, I gave my body, mind, physically, mentally, a, a, a battering yeah. during my using, you know, it's amazing that my heart is in still good condition. <laughs> I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> After a couple of benders that I went on, um, it was nearly popping out of my chest. It's amazing <laughs> that I've still got a full grain of health. So, um, yeah, mate, they're, they're the things. Anything else is a bonus, really. To have a roof over my head is, and food at the table and clothes on my back, that's what I'm grateful for every day. That's a beautiful thing to say, mate. That's a really nice answer. So how was your first family dinner back when you got back from rehab? Mate, the first, uh, the dinner, the, I, I don't know if it was a dinner or it was a, it was a breakfast or something, but it was quite, it was a special moment, mate. It really was because, um to be able to sit at the table knowing that I'm doing the right thing and the people around me know that, Hey, I'm trying, I'm doing the right thing. You know, to have my older brother there, my younger brother, um, my brothers have, have had my back from, from, from day one when I entered recovery, they've always had my back, but yeah. you know, I, there was a lot of, you know, missed opportunities over the years and things I didn't, uh, attend with them and, and, and or say I'll turn up and just never turn up because I was off. Doing, we all know what we, what I was doing, <laughs> but um, to be able to to sit with them and um, it made it, it was quite special the first the first family encounter. Uh, so, you know, and um, we try and make them a frequent thing these days because um, they were few and far between for me when I was in active using. So, it was quite special. I'm sure they're bloody good family lunches and dinners these days. So, <laughs> how do you see your own story? Do you see this as a story? of one young man who had the courage 
to pull himself up by the bootstraps after facing insurmountable challenges to live a life he was proud of? Or is this the story of the good people in your life helping you in your time of need? I, it's a bit of both. And again, this is a conversation I have with, with both my parents that um, this isn't a, I can't do this by myself. I need, I have a team around me. But they say to me that I had to put my hand up and get the courage and, and, and the strength to pick myself up and go, right, let, let's make a change. But to actually um, enforce those changes and make those changes, I needed a team around me. So I think it's a bit of both. You know, I, I definitely give myself a pat on the back for, for, for turning things around and, and admitting that I needed help and, and you know, sticking to the program. But, um, mate, I, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't be in this position if I didn't have some, some beautiful people in my life to, you know, it, oh, you know, only with rehab, mate, I wouldn't have got into that rehab if um, – my grandparents paid for that rehab. Yeah. You know, we didn't have, and was it was, it was uh wasn't the cheapest thing in the world. You know, yeah. that, you know, it, we didn't have. I didn't have private health insurance, and if you were sign up to private health, there was a waiting period. Then, then you'd pay your excess, then get into rehab. But mate, I, I was on. I was. Um, I didn't have much time left. I was going to be dead in a matter of weeks. So the only other option was to pay the rehab in front, uh, up front, I should say, and that's what they did. So without that, I wouldn't have even gone to rehab. So I think it's a bit of both to answer your question. Incredible. So you sound like, and I think you do have a fair bit of wisdom after all of this. Do you have? Do you feel like you have wisdom you can pass on to other addicts looking for a way to get clean if they're at the bottom of their barrel like you were? What would you like to tell them? Oh, look, it's 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 you know find your purpose. It's got to come from with like. I know the saying gets thrown around, but honestly, if I can do it, everyone can, anyone can do it because I was a hopeless addict and I was gutless and I just, I had no desire to get clean. And, you know, there is a way to live another life out of addiction. And mate, for so long, I never knew this, or maybe I did know this, but I didn't think it was possible because addiction had such a stranglehold on me. But if you're willing to make changes and you're willing to put in work every day, there is a way you can, you can turn your life around. Um, I will say that. And since entering recovery, um, some of the most beautiful people I know in my life in or outside of recovery have been since I've entered the rooms of, um, of, uh, of narcotics anonymous. So mate, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard, but it's so worth it. You know, it, it's, it's, and the old saying is, is nothing changes if nothing changes. You know, if you're willing to make the changes, there's a beautiful life waiting in front of you. So, yeah. Very true. Very true. And where would you point people to go to get advice or help? Can they, do you, would you pass on advice personally to people or do they, do they go to Narcotics Anonymous? Absolutely, mate. Look, I've, you know, since I've told my story, I made it public. I've had a few people, um, you know, friends who I've grown up with and stuff actually reach out to me and go, wow, you know, that's incredible. I'm, you know, they're having some problems with, with drugs as well. And, um, you know, so I've sort of helped them along the way. And, um, you know, so, so that's been such a rewarding part of my journey, knowing that other people have taken notice and gone, and, you know, wow, if he can do it, then maybe I can do it as well. Um, so, and there's, there's loads of, um, the services everywhere, but yeah, look, I do, um, I can't advertise or promote 
the, the Narcotics Anonymous program, but yep. that's what I do and that's what keeps me clean. Um, and there are meetings all over, well, nationwide, I should say. Um, but I'm lucky down in the part of Sydney that I live that there's a great fellowship that, um, you know, I keep in touch with. So, um, but there are services there everywhere, you know, drug and alcohol drug and drug and alcohol counseling services and stuff. But, you know, to answer your question, if anyone which is, which wants to reach out to me, absolutely. I'd be happy to help. Happy days. And where would they do that? How they get in touch with you? Oh, mate, the, um, the, the, the my Facebook and Instagram, um, I don't know, do I, do I say it on here or how does it work? Yeah. Give it a plug. Give it a wrap. If, oh, if you get spammed, I apologize. Yeah. Look, the, the, <laughs> Look, I'm not the biggest Instagram user and I'm definitely not a, a social influencer or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe one day or hopefully not, I should say. But uh, it's uh, capital D, uh, E-E underscore K-A-Y-8-8. And yes, that is my initials, D-K, but with the actual words. So, um, and um, so yeah, if you send me a message on there. Um, I don't know if you're going to tag me on Facebook with this... Um, on this podcast or how are you going to promote this? We'll get, if, yeah, um, we'll get your word out as well, mate. Don't worry. Yeah. Feel free to tag me in it and, um, and go from there. Send me a DM. All right. Sounds like sounds good. Send DK a DM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Daniel Kollerick, thank you so much for joining us on Everyday Greatness. That was an incredible story from a real human being who faced real challenges and found real beauty again in the small everyday stuff, the family dinners, the driving, going on driving lessons with ne- nephews it's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing it. My pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. It's been a, been a great time. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fifth year in a row. To thank Look Studio Australia as well for recording this podcast. And I hope that when you put your device down a little later on, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street, proud of, feeling, proud of being an everyday Joe or Joanne, bag of donuts. I hope you can join us next week on Everyday Greatness. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more about this show, go to our website, everydaygreatness.com.au or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube or LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening today.